Hey, who's watching Ninja Warrior? <laughs> who's watching Ninja Warrior? I couldn't believe I asked the morning. Lots of older people. Yeah, yeah, we're watching them. <laughs> cool. Ninja Warrior is, is um, sort of taking Australia by storm. It's this uh, obstacle course, right? And there's heats. Um, and it's pretty serious, the people doing it. They're, they're really fit-looking people. Um, gymnasts, rock climbers, parkour, crazy gymnasts. Um, and they're trying to get to the end. And uh, there's the story in Ninja Warrior of these two brothers who have been watching it and have been a bit obsessed with Ninja Warrior, so much so in Perth that they sold their businesses, left their careers and started this gym called the Ninja Academy. <clears throat> and uh, so it's all about getting to the end to get the prize, to get up Mount Fujiwara. <laughs> whatever it was, um, to get up the top. And apparently only 10 people have got to the top of the final test in about 20 years. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, run in such a way as to get the prize. Anyone familiar with that verse? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So the question you've got to ask is to get what prize? To get what prize? Like... What's he talking about? He's talking about life. He's talking about what drives me to do what I do. What drives you to, to get up in the morning? What's driving you? What's the prize at the end? What's the treasure you seek? What's the thing that you most desire in life? I reckon it's a really hard question to ask, uh, to answer of yourself. It's hard. It's hard to know what your hidden motivations really are. If you're a Christian, you probably know the pat answer to say, the glory of God. You know, I want to live for the glory of God. But it's much more subtle what is driving us, the treasure of our life. I guess as a bit of a recap, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, 7 of Matthew's Gospel. And in chapter 6, we see Jesus giving some thoughts that he has gathered, he's gleaned from people watching. So he's an amazing people watcher. Jesus is eternal, like he's always been there. So he's been watching every human being who's ever lived. He's just watching and he's going, oh, that's really interesting. I, it seems like your treasure is that. Okay. So he's just watching. And as we've said many times, the Sermon on the Mount is about the smartest guy who ever lived, God who comes into human flesh and he's on the green bank of the western slopes of the Sea of Galilee and there's a big bunch of people around him and he starts unfolding wisdom. He starts saying, I've been watching humanity for ages. In fact, there's not one human that's ever lived that I missed. So I'm giving you wisdom. Here it is. Here's wisdom. And he says stuff like this in the beginning of chapter 6 about giving. He says, when you give to the poor... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Rachel was preaching on this. He said, you know, I've sort of watched these people walk into the temple and when they give their money, literally, this is actually true, they had paid money to trumpet players so that when they put their money in, the trumpets would literally go, dum, da, dum, 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 dum. So you imagine the offering's going around here and it gets to Sarah, everyone else it's quiet, and then these little trumpeters go, and everyone goes, oh, whoa, Sarah's put money in. Wow, you're amazing. And she goes, yeah, I know, I know. Like, that's why I paid the trumpeters, because I want you to give me my treasure that I seek. I just want affirmation, right? 
And then he talks a little bit further on about prayer. He says, when you pray, go somewhere in secret, like in a closet, and just pray to your father. He'll hear you. But what I've noticed is people often want to pray in open um, and say lots of words. I've just noticed. I've noticed people going, and oh, did you see how many words I said? How much eloquent prayer I can do. And God's up there going, doesn't impress me. But I guess you're getting the treasure you seek. You think you're good at prayer. And then he talks about fasting. And he says, I've noticed people fasting. And instead of doing it quietly when no one knows, because you're trying to sort of train your body to live the way God wants you to live. I've noticed that people, when they fast, they let their hair get all knotted. And this is the thing that I think is funny, and I think Jesus thought it was funny. They go to a fire and they get the ash and they rub the ash over their face. So when they're walking around with dirty knotted hair, that's not enough. You've got to have a black face. So you go, I'm fasting. Did you see I'm fasting? And so Jesus looks and goes, oh, yeah, that's weird. Like... Why were you doing that? I saw what you were chasing. The treasure you chased was that people would look at you and go, I know that you've been fasting. Yeah, I have. And so he's been watching all of this and he comes and he says, I want to give you a heads up. I want to tell you what not to do and what to do about treasure. So he says in verse 19, do not. And then in 20, do. So it just says, Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So you've got to keep remembering there's all these people and they're, they're, they're listening at the feet of the smartest guy who ever lived. And he says, do, do not do that. But do this. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So um, has anyone ever done something that the sign said do not? I'm looking over here, so you've got some stuff, haven't you? Like, anyone? Has anyone ever seen, I don't know where it is, there's a sign somewhere that says do not put metal objects in the microwave. Do you know where, it, I don't know where it is, but I, I, sure I've seen it, I just know it, it's, you're not meant to do it. But we were, we were hurrying to get out the door a few years ago and I had my, my travel mug that had metal on it and it had gone cold and I thought, oh, it just needs 20 seconds more. So I just, I just really chucked it in there. Pressed go, 20. And then I went downstairs and then I hear this, like a sense of panic, you know, Jono, Jono, Jono. That doesn't sound good, like Leanne's in the kitchen. And I start smelling and I run up there and the microwave is on fire. There's a fire, there's black smoke billowing out. And we go, this can't, can't be good for you, toxic plastic. So, um, lesson learned. When it says, do not put metal in the microwave, don't do it. I mean, there's a whole range of things. I remember as a kid, my mum said to me, do not muck around with the stapler in your finger. But I remember, as a young guy, getting the stapler going, what would happen if I put the stapler on there? And I went, jinker. And then I did it and I went... Lots of things. Lots of things. Do not. Well, Jesus says this. And what he's really saying is, 
Do not give your life's best energy, your one only solitary life. Do not give your life's energy for treasure that is temporary, fragile, vulnerable, that can be stolen and wasted. Don't waste your one only shot. It's like, I've seen it all before, and he probably knows, you know, 2,000 years later, we'll be living in a world that is just rank in its materialism. And even though we know it's silly, we think that the hearse that carries our body will have a trailer on the back, like, a, like an Egyptian pharaoh. And somehow, we'll be able to take it with, it with us when we go. But we can't. You've got to spend every dollar you get. You will. You've got to spend every minute that you have somewhere. Every resource we're ever given, you use somehow. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't waste it, but do this. Give your life's energy for treasure that's eternal, that's wise, that's impacting, that's kingdom expanding. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When is that? Is that just when you die? I forgot to ask this in the morning, but... Right? So we sort of go, I get rewards when you die. So I want to live so that I've got a stash of what in the new earth? Because heaven's the in-between part between us getting on the new earth with a new body. So what is that? What are you storing up? What, am I, what is the reward? What is the treasure that we have in heaven? Well, in the old days, he used to say, you know, gold paved roads and you'll have a stash of cash in your mansion. It's a bit materialistic, isn't it? It's like, really? Is that the end game? I've always felt like it's the currency of heaven, isn't it? It's the currency of the kingdom. It's you will have rewards. You will know more of God and you will know more of the power of grace, the fuel of the kingdom. You'll be able to harness it and use it. But this is the cool thing. I reckon, and many people would say the same thing, that is a both end. It's not just, oh, maybe if I live to honor God now, I'll know that I've got a great life in heaven when I die. The kingdom of heaven's now and the heavens are here amongst us. They're not at Pluto. They're not way up there, even though often the cricketers will look up and go, oh, there he is up there, way up there. The kingdom of the heavens are amongst us. There's another realm. Jesus could see. They're coming to arrest him and he... And Pilate, I think it's Pilate, he says, don't you know how much power I have? And I love that phrase when he says, mate... Don't you see? I could call down and if you added up, 72,000 angels are there. You can't see them. They're in the kingdom of the heavens. There. Not out there at Pluto. There. How amazing is it to think that there, there is a kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, and that we can live for the glory of God and true treasure that's eternal. And God watches and says, hey, you're getting mature. Your muscles are getting stronger. And I'm storing that away in the heavens. And you can access it tomorrow. Does that make sense? You can access that tomorrow. This is what matters. Understanding how the kingdom of God works. And how we access the power of the kingdom. I was reading in the Bible just uh, literally a few days ago. And um, I was in Acts chapter 1. And there's this amazing verse um, where Jesus has lived 
died, given his perfect blood as a sacrifice for sin. He's risen from the grave and then he's in the kingdom of the heavens and he's coming in and out. You know how it says Jesus came and he came through the door? But he could still eat his flesh and blood, but he comes through doors. What he's doing is he's coming out of the realm of the earth and he's going into the realm of the heavens and he's out the other side and he's coming back and forth. For 40 days, he came in and out. 40 days, he hung out with his disciples before he ascended to heaven and then there was Pentecost. But in Acts chapter 1, you know what he did? It says this is what he did. So you imagine he's been waiting for all eternity to be the Lamb of God and actually come and do it. And then he finishes it all and he has 40 days to hang out with his disciples. You know what the Bible says he did? He talked about the kingdom of God. And I look at that and I go, it must be important. Right? It must be important. I need to know the currency of the kingdom. I need to know how to, to access what matters in life. So there's a, a way to live that you don't access that. <clears throat> you don't store up treasure. You get it now and it's gone and it's wasted. And there's a way to live our lives chasing the true treasure of the kingdom, of knowing God, of accessing his power. And it can be available now. But the question is, why is it so hard to work for true treasure? Because I just, I just find it hard to keep that treasure in my sights. It's like, it's just, I don't know, you just start going after other stuff uh, along the way. And um, so I want to leave what verse 21 says. If you had a Bible, it's really good to have it in front of you. Have a look at it on your phone or whatever. But in verse 22, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy... Your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you look up a commentary, you'll get lots of ways of understanding that. I think what Jesus is saying, particularly regarding true treasure, and at the end of the passage, as Cal read, he says you can't serve both God and money. I think he's saying that money has the capacity to blind us to its power. So you look at those verses, 22 to 23, and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Like, it's really important to have eyes, sight. I mean, if you lose one eye, it's not great. You're losing peripheral vision. If you lose both eyes, it's like, wow, this is a downer. Like, it's hard to get through life with both eyes that are dark. But what Jesus is saying is, imagine... More than just being blind physically, you're blind in your heart, which means you're deceived. You have no idea that you're blind. It's just, I'm blind in here. And I think that's what he's saying. Money has the power to blind us to its power. Money will take a hold of your heart and darken it. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, Watch out, be on your guard, Against what? All kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus doesn't say, watch out, you may become a thief. Because what he's saying is, you normally know, you've just taken it and put it in your pocket. There's lots of things you could imagine that are sin. He doesn't say, watch out for that, because you really just know, you'll know you're doing it. But what he says is, watch out for greed. Watch out for the power of money. 
it'll get a hold of your heart in such a way that you don't know it has. You don't know it has. And I think one of the most obvious ways we know this is true is I wonder how many people, and it's a little bit hard because a lot of you guys are students and you sort of haven't got into the the full flow of money coming into your life as a full-time worker. But most people don't think they're rich. Most people don't think they're rich. Um, Have you ever seen the global rich list online? Some people nodding. You've got to go check it out. Global rich list. You can do it now if you want. I don't care. Um, Global rich list. Oh, please, not everybody. (laughs) Global rich list is, is just a site you go to and it's one simple line. It says, how much net income do you have a year? You put in a figure. Where in the world do you think an impoverished Sydney pastor like me, not really, um, God's been amazingly bountiful in his blessing on our lives. Um, But, you know, I'm a pastor. I have been for like 25 years probably. Um, Wonder where I would fit in that because I can tell you I don't feel rich. You know, I'm, I'm a poor pastor. And I put mine in there and I come up in the top half a percent of the world. And I felt, I'm not I felt nauseous. I felt nauseous. I was like, God have mercy on me. Because I could just see, I'm thinking seven and a half billion people. And I get it, that's a bit complex, there's subsistence living in it, what does it mean, the dollar here, but you know, it's just, go with it. It actually gives you a number, it says you are, and I can't remember what it was, I thought it was something like the 60 millionth richest person on earth. It may have been lower than that, I can't remember, but it was like, no way, no way. There's seven and a half billion and, you know, I'm, I'm right up there. And the reason that I don't think I'm rich is my wealth is determined in my heart and mind by my reference crowd, my reference group. And so is yours. And you'll find as you accumulate, you just get different friends, maybe the workplace, you find someone who's just that little bit further up. You know, they've had the promotions. They've, they've been doing it. You get interested in, in property and you sort of start to get in. You go, oh, wow, they're way further down the track than me. And you just, you get reference groups. And you know what? Everyone does it. So the super wealthy, they don't feel wealthy. Um, I can't remember where the study came from, but it's certainly out there. They did a big study and they found that in the West, generally, it's about $70,000 that is the line where below that, it's normally, it will affect your life. It'll affect your standard of living, you know, happiness levels, like it's hard. But they find over 70,000, happiness and fruitfulness in life, it goes like that. It's like the more money you have over what you need, it is no help to us at all. There's a pushback on this with minimalism at the moment, isn't it? It's really interesting. You know, the 80s were my teenage years and, and they were sort of the years of opulence and um, we've probably pushed back on it. Um, but still, we love our stuff, don't we? 
It may not be that you're buying a new house, but maybe the new phone or the new clothes. Um, anyone feel like money? The effect of money on your life is hard to put your finger on. Um, I get it. Some of you are like, I got no money. <laughs> Ain't got a hold of me. <laughs> well, money will blind you to the sort of job you pick. That's the, that's the influence it has. It'll, it'll blind you from the start. Some of you guys have already left school, but others are on the way. Be really careful in the name of Jesus. Be really careful. God may have given you the nous, and it's a blessing. You've got just this ability to nail the HSC, which is not everyone can. Others have different intelligences. Never think that you're so intelligent because you get a high mark in the HSCs. Other people have it, but the, the system doesn't honour their intelligence, right? But if you are one of those young people who, like the system, honours you, you can come through and go, because I have certain intelligences, therefore I should do this band of jobs. And just know this, so many people do that and then a decade later go, I hate that job. It's not where my heart is, but I did it for the money and the prestige and because other people thought I should do it. And sometimes those jobs are no good for the planet, for people, like, and you're stuck in it. So let me encourage you to just think at the start, what could I do with my life that makes an impact on the world and on me and on the person I get to minister with? Because a lot of jobs don't impact the world. But how can I use my life really well and just maybe not chase the money as the main thing? Um, how do you see clearly? Well, it's, it's really hard to see clearly, uh, but I think the key to seeing clearly is in a newspaper article I read um, about Boris Becker and Andre Agassi. That's the key. I asked in the morning who's into tennis at Hornsby Baps. Can you believe there's barely a hand went up? What have you guys been doing? Warunga's full of tennis courts. There's more tennis courts in the local area than on the planet. <laughs> Just look at Google Earth. Not many tennis players. So I had two people I gave the illustration to at the back. <laughs> they put their hand up. Said, so okay, late 80s, Andre Agassi is... You guys heard of Andre Agassi? Come on, yeah, we, we all have. Preach it, Kerry. <laughs> Some people haven't, I bet. <laughs> Who has never heard of Andre Agassi? Hey, go. Wow. Um, why do you beat me in the general knowledge quiz on TV all the time? How do you do that? Talk about my brother for those, my, my son, for those listening on the, uh, the uh, podcast. Um, so he's a tennis player. The, early, uh, the late 80s, he's this um, great battle with a guy called Pete Sampras. And then this young buck, this young German comes on the scene called Boris Becker. And Boris Becker is unbeatable, and he takes Andre Agassi out three times in a row. And Andre Agassi's like, man, this guy's going to ruin my career. And so he starts studying the tapes, Andre Agassi, studying the tapes. And he realises that Boris Becker, when he's serving, if he's going to serve wide of the court, his tongue when it goes like this. And if he's going to go down the middle, he goes like that. And so Agassi's just like, wow, he tries it out. And in the next 10 years, 89 to 99, the record's 10-4 to Agassi. 
And Agassiz tells no one this trick, not until he retires. And he says in his book, which I didn't read, I just saw the article in the paper, um, he didn't tell Boris until after they'd both retired. And he says, the hardest thing I found playing you, Boris, was how not to beat you too easily because I could read your serve perfectly. I could break your serve at will, really. And he just, of course, Boris Becker's <laughs> pulling his hair out. And the comment that he said was so classic. He goes, I used to go home to my wife after you beat me. And he'd say, I'd say, it's like he reads my mind. <laughs> it's like he can read my mind. So what's that got to do with solving the problem of, uh, of you know, the deception of money? Well, it's really simple. This is what Jesus says. Verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So follow the money. Yeah, if you, if you want to... How, how can you possibly solve Boris Becker serving at you? Just watch the videotape and you'll see there's a little trick. So what Jesus is suggesting is watch the videotape of how you spend your money and you'll see where your heart is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because you'll invest in the thing you love. Do you find that money flows effortlessly in certain directions? There's just some things that it's like for you and me, we're different. But it's just easier to pay that. It just flows out. It just flows. And so Jesus suggests that follow the trail of the gold coins and you'll start to see where your heart is. And you know, I really praise God that there are people at this church, and could be sitting here, who so get that if God has given them wealth and resources, it's best to share that, to give it to the kingdom. Because we have really big givers in this church. Like We have people that, well, we punch so much above our weight. We really do. And so praise God. Some people are like, hey, I got this and I can give it. And it's not just to the church, it's to the kingdom. It's to doing good. And so Jesus says, you, you, you've got to just follow that, be careful. And then in verse 24, the end, he says, because this is the truth. You might think that you can serve money as a God and God, the Father, but you can't. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Don't you reckon he got that wrong? Like, let's look up in the Greek and say, did he really say hate and despise? I mean, there's strong words, Jesus. I know you're smart. I know you know everything. But like, did you really choose cor correctly the right words? I'm putting my money on the fact that he did. He got it right. I think he's saying, guys, I've got to use hyperbole. I've got to use big, extravagant sort of um, contrast so that you, I get the, the importance. If you don't honor God with your heart and treasure him, the knowledge of him, the beauty of him, of Jesus, of what he's doing and done, you will end up loving the stuff of the world and it gets run on desire and money is right in there so it's a problem how do you solve it it would seem we we it sounds very spiritual christianese we fix our eyes on jesus 
we, we try to think, wow, I would have to love you, Lord. I'd have to be passionate about you and what you're doing for this to change. Um, Matthew 17, 24, what, what would you do with your money? Could you trust him? Um, it's, pre it's pretty tough in the world that we're living in now for us in Sydney, isn't it? Hey, isn't it? Like, it doesn't make sense. That's what I want to say. I want to say, okay, fair enough for us to just be generous with our money. If I'm like previous generations and my house is paid off by the time I'm 30, through hard work, you know, through hard work, but the system just works. You get a plot of ground, it's your castle, you get to pay it off, and then do you get to have some spare money and hey, I've got my house, I've got my roof over my head, I've got my clothing, the kids are being educated and we're going okay, and they've got every hope of doing the same. And, um, well, you know, I've got this stash of money and they say I should tithe, so there's a tenth there and I'll save a tenth. And you wait. If you haven't already done the sums, you do the sums and they are profoundly depressing as a young person. They are for me at 47. How do you pay off your house? How do you pay off your house without obscene capital growth to let us keep getting the same stuff that the previous generation have got? You do the maths and you know what you find out? We can't get there. Doesn't add up. And you know what that then does to you? What do you reckon it does to your corporate generation? Well, I'm not gonna do that. So let's live life. Let's live life. Let's spend it on stuff that, you know, we want to spend it on. Um, and I just think it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's tough at the moment. It's one of the most expensive places on earth to live, Sydney. Nine or more times an, an average salary is a house. How do you pay it off? How? How, how is it even done? Um, and, and to encourage us to think maybe, maybe... He could, maybe I could. I think of a, a statement that Bill Hybels made and he said about money. He said, you're at A, point A, and you might be 18. And you go, you know, Lord willing, when I'm 40, I'd like to have a home that I've paid a fair bit off. So you've got A, where I am now, 18. B, let's say married, couple of kids, going well in the career, and a house living where I want to live. Is that sort of fair? Whatever. Maybe it's single. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is for you. Um, and then you, you actually talk to someone really smart about finances. You go, look, I just want to work out how to get there. And you sort of add it all up and you can get to a certain version of that dream. And that's A to B. And it might be, well, to get to B, I've sort of got to be pretty stingy with giving to the kingdom because it's so hard in Sydney. A to B, that means stingy for the next 20 years. And Bill Hybels makes this comment, he says, you can do that, and it's probably wise. But he said, all my life I've believed this, and I'm going to keep doing it by God's grace till I die. I don't want to live my life getting to B, that I could do myself. I want to set a goal at C, and see if we can get there by God's grace. It's just a choice. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I think that's a really, really great way to see life. You can do it in your own strength. Work it out. What is B? A to B. In my strength, I can see exactly how I could do it. But it's like, no, live a life that goes to sea. And that means trusting in this Jesus. That's how you do it. You trust in this Jesus. You, you live wisely. You try to make wise decisions. But at the core of it, you think the Jesus I serve 
hasn't changed a bit from this guy. Let me read it, chapter 17 of Matthew. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, which is just north of where he's doing the teaching, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offence, go to the lake and throw out your line. And by God's grace, I've stood right on the edge where this would have happened at Capernaum on the north of the Sea of Galilee. And it's so cool to think back what it would have been like. He says, go to the lake and throw out your line, Peter. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. How do you do that? How do you do that? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? And I, and I just, let me encourage you. You can sit there and you will decide. Is that a quaint story in the Bible that has no connection to meaning? Or is that the Jesus who we sing about? Is he? Is he the one who can find coins in fish's mouth, fish mouths? And I want to say he can get us from A to C and not just A to B. Amen. Honestly, A to C or A to B. Because we're not going to tithe, we're not going to give, we're not going to give to the church, we're not going to be generous, we're not going to give money away. If you look at the world you find yourself in in the 21st century in Sydney, if you do the sums, you're going to go, I've got no hope, I've got no extra cash, I am poor for the rest of my life. And you have that self-talk, but you go to the global rich list as I did. And see where you sit in the seven and a half billion and tell yourself if you're not rich. And go, okay, I'm here in this part of the world for a reason. I want to make my life count. So the ninja warrior guys and girls, they train to get a prize. What are you running for? What's the treasure that is got a hold of your heart's affection don't hear it the wrong way it's not that you're going to somehow be like a missionary overseas or i don't know work for anglican youth works or be a minister or whatever it is it's like nah that's the most small percentage of the church so what are you going to do in the world with your skills what are you going to do that's going to give god glory and make you feel like you're part of the team. Um, let your money follow your heart. Get your heart right. And uh, I just want to encourage you, you know, that can be so supremely overwhelming when you don't know what it is. You're just like, I don't know what it is. I want to make my life count, but I don't know what I'm meant to do. I don't know what I'm good at. Just start with like the beginning. Just go, but I do know what I can do with the resources you've given me now. And look at it and go, God, what can I do with these resources to bless you and be part of the kingdom and 
the, the other great story is that poor woman. Now in the temple, Jesus is doing all the people watching. Who is it when he's amazed and he just loves it and he makes, he makes the call, like he sees this poor woman put in two cents in there. And he goes, hey, 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 hey disciples, check this out. Oh, the angels are just stoked about it. Like, that has, that, like that's got the father's attention. Because that woman did what? She gave out of her scarcity and the others are giving out of their abundance. And in doing that, she's saying, God, this is my heart. This is my heart. Let's pray. I think the guy's going to come and lead us in a final song. Lord, as we just stop and, and think about what you're doing in our lives, I want to pray for these guys. Many of them are younger in life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us get our priorities right early in life. We want to see you as our treasure. Help us strip away the, the stuff that is not worthy to be the goal. We do want to run in such a way as to get the prize. We want to hear testimonies here in this service of people who are just going for it, wanting to, wanting to chase after you, hard after you, a hard after your glory and finding out what reckless abandon actually looks like. And at the same time, we want to live wise lives. We just want to be wise. So have your way in us. We thank you for your presence with us now. And Lord Holy Spirit, I pray that in this song you might do something special in our hearts as a response. Amen.